When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, welcome back. So, you know, the other day I saw a little bit about how, you know, especially in these last several months, our use of the word unprecedented has increased at a, you guessed it, unprecedented level because we, we really do live in unprecedented times. Uh, now, I mean, maybe, yeah, if we're talking about this pandemic and everything that's occurring as a result of it, yeah, we've had pandemics in the past. But certainly never to this scale, nor the reaction to this scale in, you know, this more modern era, you know, in the 21st century, even the latter half of the 20th century. Unprecedented times indeed. And, and, and yeah, we've seen some crazy things, you know, today, you know, as we record uh, a little bit after the, the unemployment number for April that was released today. Uh, 14.7% percent unemployment 20.5 million jobs lost i mean that's insane for one single month i mean that is you know the scale of this and 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 you know zero hedge is kind of talking about how the markets are rising on it it makes no sense to me that they'd rise on it but it's also not unexpected it's we, we've known this is coming for a while now because we've seen the walk, weekly jobs reports, but unprecedented. How about oil, the oil markets? Unprecedented moves there a few weeks back when they actually moved into the negative range for the front month, the WTI contract, as well as some other, uh, uh, um, some other crude you know, blends and, and whatnot. Um, look at me pretending I know something about oil markets. Some other, some other crude products, right? Brent didn't go negative, but WTI and some other ones did. Unprecedented, I mean... Especially for WTI, considering the, you know the size of that contract, it's not just some cheap you know oil from from the what tar sands or whatever up in in Canada, right? Uh, West Texas Intermediate. So I mean, unprecedented, right? And we can go on and on about this. Um, however, something happened yesterday, which was interesting, but only sort of unprecedented. And of course, I'm talking about negative rates in the United States. More accurately, markets pricing in negative rates, uh, negative Fed funds rate. Yesterday it happened for the first time ever in the United States. And that's why I say this is sort of unprecedented. For the United States, this is unprecedented. Basically, yesterday, um, the, the markets began pricing in somewhere around you know December of this year, maybe January of next year, a negative Fed funds rate. Now, this is all in flux. This always is sort of changing what, what the markets are implying for these rates going forward. Nor does it mean that rates have to, you know, the Fed funds rate has to go negative. If Powell doesn't want to bring down the short end of the curve into the negative range, if, he, if he's not a fan of NERP, he's just a fan of ZERP, then it's not going to have, well, I mean, if eh, Powell's not the only person making the decision. But, but you know, if, if the Fed doesn't want to do that, then it's not going to happen. Ne never mind what 
the markets are saying. However, we do know that markets actually tend to be a pretty good, you know, prognosticator of, of these types of extreme moves in, in um, you know, the Fed funds rate. Some, sometimes they get it wrong, like when they expect the Fed funds rate to rise way more than it ever would have. Uh, but a lot of times they're also the the ones sort of predicting these these moves to the downside, despite everyone, including Trump and Mnuchin and and Powell and Kudlow and et cetera, and CBC, the entire you know the entire crew saying that everything will be fine and and Fed funds rate and the economy is going to you know continue to be um, doing very well for for many years into the future, and so here they are predicting by the end of the year negative interest rate policy now. Is that actually coming? Yeah, I think it is. I, I, you know, I would go out on a limb. Sometimes I'm early on this type of stuff. My predictions are on a shorter time scale than than usual. You know, so for instance, I predicted the end of QT quantitative tightening that they'd never be able to unwind their balance sheet. It wasn't that hard of a prediction. I'm not trying to like you know pat myself on the back because you know my timing was off. It did, they went it went on for longer than I expected. They were able to raise rates higher than I expected. Um, they held off on QE longer than I expected, uh, but it did ultimately come to pass. the The difference this time around is that everything is so much more compressed in this crisis. In this um, economic crash that, that we've experienced in the past few months. I mean, it, you heard me say it, 20.5 million jobs lost in a single month. 14.7, you know, unemployment basically going from sub 4%, again, going by official government numbers. I didn't mention that before, so I guess not again, but but I've said it so many times on this podcast. Going from sub 4% a few months ago to 14.7%, and, and May is going to be even higher. 20%, I don't know. And and, and again, those are num- government numbers, so you know, the real number is probably higher. That's that's insane, and that is an incredibly compressed timeline. I mean, look at how much QE the Fed has done in, you know, the last two or three months. Incredibly compressed. Look how much the government has, has borrowed in the past few months. Right? We the the national debt recently topped twenty-five trillion. It was at twenty-four trillion less than a month ago, right? It's gonna be at twenty-six trillion, you know, probably a month from now. It's gonna be at thirty trillion, you know, at least by this time next year, if not sooner, right? So this is a very compressed timeline, and so markets, you know, pricing in negative rates by the end of the year. You know, why why not by the end of the summer? Why not by and I and I get, you know, I think maybe it will take a little longer than that for Powell and company to come on board with this, certainly some members of the Fed, <clears throat> Neil Kashkari, would probably already be on board with negative rates. I don't know. I guess maybe I haven't seen him specifically talk about rate, negative rates. I'm sure he has. But, you know, he's dovish about everything else. Why not negative rates? They'll come around on this, right? I mean, the economic damage from this is far from over. The Fed has sort of been winding down, <laughs> winding down. I laugh as I say that, winding down some of their QE because, well, the rate at which they're doing it is still very fast. You know, last time I checked, over ten billion a week between their mortgage-backed securities and, and treasury bonds. They'll be starting up their their corporate bond buying uh, program pretty soon here. Uh, so that's an insane pace compared to their past rounds of quantitative easing. However, um, the economic damage from this is far from over. I mean. Reopening hasn't really occurred here in the United States, in most places worldwide. 
It's going to come back slowly, and it's not going to come back completely, probably ever, right? And I'm look, if you're a new listener, if you're you know missing my past podcast, I mean, the thing that I've been harping on here for several, several weeks is that we're in a deep, deep, deep recession here. Everybody knows that. This is going to turn into a depression, which I believe will last for the entirety, if not the bulk of this decade, the 2020s. You know, last time we got the roaring 20s, I think this time around, you know, the, the 20s are, are going to be, you know, quite similar to the 30s uh, during the previous century. It's, it's going to be bad, right? Why? Well, hey, look at um, the, the amount of debt that we've accumulated over the past, you know, however many decades. Look how much we've accumulated over the past few months. I mean, that debt is, that has a real, I mean, look, relate it to your own personal finances, what is your flexibility? What is your personal finances like? What happens to it as a level of debt that you have to service or roll over or whatever increases? It, it Your finances get tighter and tighter, which means you have less to, to save and, and less to invest and less to just consume. Use that cash to, to buy stuff, you know, as a as a good consumer does, <laughs> you know. And the same thing is true for, for an economy. It doesn't matter if you're shifting that debt from the private to the corporate to ultimately the government level. It's more debt. Now, compressed timeline, yeah, I think these rates are coming sooner than, than maybe the markets are expecting. With that being said, as I said before, is it unprecedented? In the U.S., in the US yes. Globally, No. Globally speaking, we've had real negative rates, not just uh, at the central bank level, which which is real, but but like at debt, debt being borrowed um, at rates below zero percent for for years now. You know the amount of sovereign debt worldwide. I don't have a good number. I've I, you know, I've looked in the past for good counters. I, I know like Bloomberg and whatnot. They have that kind of exclusive data on that. I'm sure not not exclusive, but they've actually put it together. I have not, and there's not a good chart on it worldwide. But in the past, it's been as high as, I think, over $17 trillion trillion worth of negative yielding global debt. Right now, it's almost certainly, I'm sure, above $10 trillion. I don't know the exact amount. Um, But but pretty pretty significant amount. And and it's um, likely to go higher if, if the short end of the U.S. curve, or the whole curve, I don't know, goes negative. Right? Is that so outlandish considering these unprecedented times we live in i mean can you imagine all 25 plus trillion dollars worth of debt yielding negative i mean that's nuts but so it's sort of unprecedented for here here for the united states now this is where i I sort of want to bring into this conversation uh precious metals silver and gold i mean what what does this have to do with silver and gold bonds are a safe haven asset they're getting a bid um, and and they did. I mean, the bonds did move down. A lot of the U.S. curve did move down, the short end especially, in in reaction to this uh, market move. How does this influence silver and gold? Well, as a whole, I mean, it's it's positive. And, and I'll put it in these terms. I, I like to think of it this way, and this is probably not super scientific, but I've seen some bond analysts sort of agree with this i don't know i don't know if they'd agree but but so the way i think of it is this so bonds are safe haven asset right may not make sense to you and i 
But, I mean, if you think of it this way, the U.S. government at least is probably not going to default on their debt. Through not paying it. It's just going to default through inflation, right? So, you get that idea of a safe haven and short-term debt bills and, and, you know, under a year and whatnot. I could see that idea, too, being true of that. They're safe haven. Even if you're going to lose to inflation, whatever. Okay. Now, one of the bonuses to this as a safe haven asset versus something like cash is that you get a yield, usually. But with rates moving lower and lower, and, and ultimately maybe negative, and maybe, I mean, definitely, because in a lot of places they are, they are already negative, how does that influence its role as a safe haven asset? Now, I want to make one thing clear. There's a lot of investors that are going to continue to buy bonds, even if they're negative yielding. They already do, solely because, A, they're maybe pricing in some massive deflation, or maybe more often, they expect the, the yield to go even lower and the price to go even higher. Right? They're looking for a greater fool. Additionally, there's also a lot of financial institutions that buy and hold bonds as, as sort of part of their reserve requirements. And that's why, you know, a good chunk of these bonds are also held by, by financial institutions. Plus, you know, there's pensions and whatnot, which right now are, are mandated, a lot of them, to, to buy and, and hold a certain amount of government debt, right? So that, that answers the question of, of why, why do people even buy this net? But anyways, this is a safe haven asset in today's world. And, and if the yield goes negative or closer to zero and the, you know, the real yield, you know, the, the nominal yield compared to inflation moves lower and, and potentially negative, well, guess what? It's, it's less attractive of a safe haven asset. Maybe people move into cash. And that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, like the dollar is, is strengthened by that. No, I mean, the demand overall, the, the dollar demand would be lower with lower yields because you're getting less yield for that dollar. And so people aren't going to, generally stronger or higher yields are, are stronger for a currency within reason, which I'll get to here in a second. Um, but, but lower, not, not so much. That's going to be weakening the dollar. Um, at least that's the general view of it, the more more popular view, I guess. Uh, so, so you're going to get weak, weaker demand for that, and there's cash, but then there's also precious metals, which which can stand up against that inflation, and and that's where I think precious metals have to come into this conversation. Silver and gold, they do not. You know, I mean, there's so much negativity about precious metals. There has been for a long time, relative to other asset classes. Hey, silver and gold. Why would I want to buy them? They're a chunk of metal. They sit there. You buy them, and you sit there. You might even have to pay a fee. To have them vaulted if, if you have a ton or you don't want to hold on to it yourself or your financial institution or something like that. Uh, they just sit there. Uh, they, don't, they don't carry a yield, nor do they have a dividend. But, you know, if, if you're looking to diversify out of stocks, and, hence you, and therefore you're not really looking for a dividend, you're, you're fine not accepting that dividend because you expect stocks to, to drop or you're looking for a hedge or whatever, and bonds are not doing well, in fact, they have a negative yield, they're doing so well that they actually, they're, not doing, they're doing so well that they have a negative yield, well, guess what, a, an asset that is a safe haven asset without 
you know, a negative yield looks a lot more attractive. And that's why oftentimes in the past, gold has done very well when negative yielding debt increases. Now, you might be saying, well, does that mean that gold is going to crash if treasuries, let's say the U.S. 10-year move to like 6% yield? No, I, I think what, now again, this isn't super scientific, but but I think there's a, a tipping point in the other direction as well in which the yield goes too high, the price of bonds goes too low because people selling it and whatnot, where all of a sudden gold and silver catch a bid once again because of the risk of, of you know, some sort of hyperinflation due to, due to partly high yields. So, so think of it this way. I mean, what is the cost for the U.S. government to service their debt right now? It's not that high, all things considered, because the rates are so low. Well, I still think that's a huge positive for silver and gold. But let's say rates moved up to 2%, 3%. Okay, that's getting up there, 2 to 3% yield or, or you know, uh, um, interest rate on $25 trillion worth of debt. That's a, that's a decently high chunk of change just to service that debt. But double that. What if you went to 4 4 to 6%? What do you, you know, 5, 6, 7, 8%. Now you're talking about a huge cost of service that debt and, and likely a, a, a high yield that is pricing in inflation and, and, and all of a sudden, you know, the Fed is going to have to print money to, to help the U.S. government service that debt, or also the U.S. government's going to have to to just borrow more and more. But eventually, you know, the demand for that more and more borrowing is going to decline, and so the Fed's going to have to make up that difference, and, and, and then you get hyperinflation. Maybe there's a happy medium, but, but we certainly aren't in that happy medium now, and, and there's a real risk that eventually when the bond market collapses, which it will, there's going to be a, a quick jump across that happy medium to the other side. Right. So where does silver and gold come into this? Well, again, silver and gold are going to perform, I think, excellently in a low yield, negative yield environment. Especially since right now there's this idea of deflation and there's so many people that are pricing in deflation far, far out into the future. And therefore, they're willing to accept a low rate on some of this longer dated debt. 10, 20, 30 year debt. And globally speaking, not just the US here. But eventually, investors are going to realize that, hey, wait a second. Um, you know, this US 10 year at whatever it's going to be, you know, 50 basis points or whatever, uh, kind of sucks, especially if I don't think it's going to go up higher or I don't think it's worth the risk figuring it out if it does or waiting to see if it, you know, the price goes up higher and the yield goes lower. Uh, and, and I don't think inflation is going to be this low over the next 10 years. In fact, I think I'm going to lose a, a very large amount of this value in this bond over the next 10 years. Therefore, I'm going to sell it and, and move into you know precious metals as a safe haven asset. It's not that everyone's going to do that. But I mean, what I'm saying here is that this is a boon for precious metals, and it has proven to be so in the past. I mean, a big chunk of the second half of 2019, the gains in the gold market were due to this exact situation that i'm talking about this there's a huge spike in negative yielding debt and gold was the benefactor of that but eventually you move to this other the other side of this of this happy medium where yields go much much higher when the bond market ultimately collapses 
once you know there's sort of this wake up call and people realize well maybe they already realized it maybe people realize that it actually impacts market fundamentals that the US government's never going to pay back any of their debt they're simply going to continue to roll it over more and more that the spending picture in the US is is never going to improve you know the I should say the deficit picture that right now it's horrendous trillions of spending this year trillions of deficits um three four five probably four or five maybe higher maybe six trillion dollars this year that that's horrendous and then once that's over it's still going to be two three trillion dollars a year of of deficits that that does not bode well for the supply and demand fundamentals that the fed can buy all they want but they're probably just going to spark inflation eventually which is going to cause yields to rise and price to drop and 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 you have sort of this wake up moment by by more and more people maybe this is just a fantasy on my part maybe maybe this is never going to come but but i think it i mean it has to at some point and and that happy medium is going to be jumped over by the bond market and, and lo and behold gold and silver will be there waiting right uh, now they can be much much pricier than where they're at right now when when that ultimately happens um but i think they, they have to come into this conversation you know how does negative yields affect silver and gold i think it affects it very positively because they are safe haven asset that are, are sort of negative uh neutral yielding they keep pace with inflation though over the long term they're going to rise under inflationary periods of time so they're a good hedge against that sort of a no-brainer for for somebody that wants a true hedge and isn't just looking to pad their balance sheet or you know find a greater fool in the bond market right and and you add to that potentially another you know lag down in the stock market um social uh unrest geopolitical and domestic political um upheaval you know a pandemic and and you know the the bull case for precious metals continues to to be quite strong so that i guess that's what's coming in the future in terms of uh in terms of the u.s debt picture i hope that makes sense to you that the idea of the happy medium not that it's i mean it's the happy medium would be that we wouldn't have to worry about so much debt in the first place. But I think, you know, a 2 or 3% yield, although it's a decent cost to service the debt, is is not going to um, be as, as, I don't know, Frankenstein-like as a negative yield or a you know, 10 basis point yield or something like that. Nor is it going to be such a, a crazy cost to borrow as, as something like a 5 six seven eight percent yield on the treasury um so i mean that's hey unprecedented times that we live in would it be so unprecedented that before this is all said and done the largest bubble in maybe the history of mankind the u.s treasury market which has been in a bull market a secular bull market for like 40 years now going on 40 years it finally reverses. It will eventually, and that's going to mark maybe the end of this whole, I don't know, era of, of so many different things uh, as it relates to the U.S. dollar, the United States as a whole, our hold on, on 
global power, etc. I mean, the, the ramifications of that are, are endless because so much of what we see in the world today is, is backed by the dollar and backed or fueled by, by U.S. debt. And, and that's going to go by the wayside pretty quickly when that bond market blows up. Never mind the fact that it's going to be a market that's, you know, $25 trillion and, and counting that is going to, you know, really collapse in, in value for these investors. Could you imagine being a pension right now buying a, a U.S. 10-year, whatever the yield is, I'll, maybe I'll Google it right here just for the sake of accuracy. Can you imagine buying it at its current yield and, you know, some number of years out in the future, that yield being at 5%, you know, the real yield, not, uh, sorry, the, the, the yield in the future, not the yield and what they have. Uh, it's sitting just above 65 basis points right now. So, I mean, it's just, it's insane. I mean, if you look at the long-term chart for the U.S. Um, tenure, you know, going back to the early 80s, it was over 15%. You know, going back to the 2000s, you know, early, you know, around 2000, you know, it was closer to like 5%. You know, and here we are now. And I should say that happy medium is also dependent on, you know, the amount of debt. Obviously, the U.S. government wasn't heading to some hyperinflationary debt spiral in the 80s when it was, you know, between 5 and 10% for a while. No, because their debt was much, much lower. And so, you know, a 5 to 10% yield on your debt um, says a lot of things maybe about inflation expectations and, and default risk, etc. Um, but, you know, if you have a low amount of actual debt, it's not that big of a deal in the whole scheme of things. Different story today. In terms of debt to GDP. But anyways, I'll let you guys get on with your day and, and quit my rambling. Um, as always, though, I'd like to thank every one of you from the bottom of my heart for tuning in to today's podcast. And God bless.